You're listening to the Rough and Tumble podcast. If you enjoy the content, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow us on YouTube, Spotify. You can listen to us on Google Play and soon to be iTunes. This is episode four of the Rough and Tumble podcast. We're going to be talking about 52 Blocks or Jailhouse Rock, um, another fighting style uh, that we kind of discovered. We'll be talking about some other really, really exciting things. Let's get into the episode. You're listening to the Rough and Tumble podcast. Dude, so what do you think of the uh, the new setup? I think it's different. It took a lot of getting used to because I'm not used to sitting on the side of the room. Yeah, that's true. I had but the like... table is huge, so we've got plenty of room for at least two guests. Oh, we've got even more room because there's another uh, leave over there, and we can expand to it. And I f- Whenever you posted about there being more leaves for this table... I felt like you had just learned that tables had leaves that you could extend them because you keep using the word over and over again. <laughs> You're like, did you know that you can actually make these tables bigger? They're called leaves. They're called leaves. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just excited about it. It's a badass table. It is a badass table. I mean, it's like, it's kind of a piece of shit, but that's part of the reason that it's awesome for us and what we're doing right now. It is. I didn't expect it to be this nice. I mean, this is rich mahogany. You should probably put some ink oil over the top of it, really smooth it out, get some pledge, polish it up. (laughs) Some pledge. So um, we've got two really, really exciting things going on today. First of all, we have sound effects. Yeah. Second of all, Johnny Wester, that's me, won his submission only black belt match. Last night at Sub Hunter Pro. So the thing that we came up with, when one of us wins a match, the other one has to introduce them um, in extravagant and flamboyant style. So, Mitch, well, g- give me your best, your best go. Well, I'm I'm very happy to introduce you on this episode because I know how hard you've worked to get this victory. You literally lost every fight that you've ever had and so i know how big of a deal it was for you to finally win um and it was your first black belt victory which is apparently a big deal um the guy that you fought was super tough the submission that you got on him i'm not 100 percent sure is a jujitsu move (laughs) Um, I've, I've watched kids in my kids class get it on, <laughs> on each other. <laughs> I thought you, you handled victory very well. You didn't over celebrate. <laughs> as soon as I saw you get your hand raised, I was immediately disappointed <laughs> because you went before I did. And then I competed right after that. And obviously since you're not doing an introduction to me, everybody knows exactly how my fight went. Um, <laughs> Somebody got the submission. It wasn't me. Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm still proud of you. I'm proud of me. But most of all, I'm proud that you didn't wear one of our patches whenever you competed last so, night. <laughs> I had a really, really good idea. And the, the, the weigh-ins were not exactly what I expected them to be. Because I've done events like this, like Fight to Win and stuff like that. Uh, which, um, I should mention, I also lost. Uh, <laughs> 
and got submitted there too. Um, there's a trend. I'm probably just going to stop competing now. Dude, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. As the, as the black belt that's won a match, you gotta you gotta surprise them with white belt moves. See, I didn't think they're I, not expecting white belt moves in a black belt match. For two years, I've been trying to do black belt moves, and it's Le not working. Leandro Lowe, you can call me if you need some uh, coaching. <laughs> Johnny got what we would what we in the business call a reverse chicken wing. <laughs> the reverse chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's like my thought process in that was a okay so I was doing great I felt like um, all the way up until that point <laughs> uh, I took his back off of the Kimura trap which I was really excited about because I finally hit that in competition I took his back popped my knee in that process and then uh, he escaped the back came up into side past my guard into side control and I was like oh my god I'm in so much trouble right now and then I remembered it's sub only. So I was like, oh, I'm really not in that much trouble. Take a big deep breath. And that was his, you know how whenever people's shoulder just gets a little bit too far over, you'll hit mm -hmm. that, that roll over. That honestly was my intention to start with is I wanted to catch that, catch his shoulder and try and roll him over the top. If anything else, just create space. As soon as I did, I see that wrist. I'm like, damn, I can create a little bit of space here. Because dude, 10 times out of 10, I don't finish that. I think that's actually the first time I've ever finished that submission. It's the first time it's ever been done in competition. I probably. So I give you kudos to that. You you <laughs> set the precedent. Um, it's like um, it's like the first time that that guy got a uh, a naked Ezekiel in an MMA fight. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what happened last night. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> well, you got the victory, mm -hmm. and I know I know you've been you were repping that particular move leading up to this event. I know you and Daniel spent a lot of time on the mats just putting yourself <laughs> in a bad positions and then hitting the reverse chicken. I'm wing. all about dude, I told you. Uh stupid submissions from bad positions. That's, <laughs> that's my that's my DVD, dude. I'm this telling you. This is now that's gonna be That confirms it. I yeah. just realized that. Holy yeah. shit. It's called competition proven. You've literally <laughs> proven your competition uh moves in real life. And now you can put that on the intro to the YouTube video advertising yep. your new DVD. Showing how effective it is. If only I had a video that actually you could see the uh, Americana happening. Yeah. It was like I was facing literally to the only side of the stage that there wasn't a crowd. I know. <laughs> yeah. The angle that I was at, I was like, um, I, I saw you going for it. And I was like, oh, that's a really, that's going to be a great way to reverse this position and get on top and then maybe do a real submission from there. <laughs> and then in Jeremy's defense, one, he's super tough. Two, I have my elbows are fucked yeah. like from 12 years of jujitsu. So that move has worked on me before. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to give this individual a shout out and um, he's probably going to get a raging boner <laughs> just from hearing this because um, he, he's a, a young, uh, handsome blue belt that trains at Westside. Um, his name is Jason King. And the move that you got on him, on Jeremy, uh, Jason has finished me with that. And Jason has a notebook that he keeps in his back pocket. And then he also has a, a special pocket inside of his gi that he keeps the notebook in. And anytime he submits a black belt, he, he writes it down. Writes a check mark. And, and then never stops talking about it for the next six years. This one's for you, Jason. <laughs> and so, and what's funny about it is, um, cause I'd passed his guard and was coming around and I wasn't, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those bullshit training matches where you're just kind of goofing off, you know, and I'm just wrecking him 
literally destroying him. Like I was setting him back to the stone age with, with my moves and he caught that. And I remember thinking like, what is this guy doing? Like, this is go learn some jujitsu kid. <laughs> and then my elbow felt like it was going to explode. And so it wasn't even on my shoulder. So I think honestly, um, that's probably what, what caught Jeremy off guard was it puts that particular move puts a lot of pressure on the inside of the elbow. It does. And, uh, I told you, like, I've been working out. One of my favorite things is whenever people are, I always look for the back. And so whenever I get to side control, I don't like people being flat in side control. I get that like rear side control where they're facing mm -hmm. away from me and I have their back on my chest. One of the things that I do from there to prevent them from continuing rolling away is I'll catch the elbow and just pick it up off the ground. And I'd, I'd been thinking about that because I've been drilling it recently and teaching it. Um, and so in that Americana, and I never get to that point really where I can finish that Americana properly because, you know, like when you roll, it usually slips out. Um, but I was so focused on picking up that elbow and keeping him from rolling away. That's where I noticed it got really tight on him. And so I was like, oh, that's the trick. I'm going to pick that this, elbow. This is how you finish this move yeah. that um, has never been done in a black belt match. Right. Well, dude, I'm just, you know, reinventing the game. That's all. Obviously. It's you know, innovation. It is innovation. It's going back to moves that you were doing as a white belt. <laughs> and you're bringing it back to the black belt divisions. I had, but you know there's what? There's going to be a whole, there's going to be a whole movement of, um, like, you remember, you remember whenever Barambolo got really big? Like all the white belts and blue belts were like they said, "Fuck guard passing." I'm mm -hmm. not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about doing anything relevant in jujitsu. I'm just gonna learn how to bear and bolo and do that forever. <laughs> yeah, that's what's gonna about. This is that's about to happen. Like Reddit's about to blow up. People are gonna with, pull side control. They're just gonna, they're gonna pull side control. Once, once they get a hold of my DVD, they're gonna be pulling armbar. <laughs> that's the, that's one of my better ones. They're gonna give their arm lock up. Yeah, and just then, just so they can knee bar you. Yeah, <laughs> watch out, everybody. Protect your knees. It's coming. <laughs> I liked how um, it's like I got tunnel vision whenever you were attacking it. And I could just, I zoomed in on your face. And then um, when when the ref stopped the match, the look on your face was, it, what, is time up? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you couldn't even believe that, that it ended up in a, in a submission. I was actually like, whenever it, uh, it happened, he, he like yelled tap. And then I was... I felt it move like a, I, you know, it, it wasn't like a big hard pop, but I felt like it kind of popped. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And his mouth was bleeding. And so I was like, oh man, I headbutted. I felt bad. I did. And he was so frustrated. Mm -hmm. I would be, uh, for good oh, reason, I absolutely. would be too. I, and I don't want to think, I don't want Jeremy to think that like we're just talking shit, you know, because he's, him and his brother both are super tough. And, um, and Mark had a really good fight as well against Luis Rubicava. So, but he, he, you know, he went to a draw in his match, but it's like, I told everybody who texted me after I lost, uh, you can't win them all. <laughs> it just gets to the point where I just copied and pasted that into every yeah. text message. <laughs> hey, you can't win them all. I can't, you know, like I appreciate the, like people supporting me and stuff and that helps. Ugh, it gets overwhelming sometimes. Like sometimes I get, okay, I get it. Like. Leave me alone for a little bit. Let yeah, me. I'm gonna. Let I'm me sulk. Be fine. I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna be fine. And I wasn't even mad after I lost um, my match because, in my opinion, it was it was a fifty fifty for between me and Eric because yeah. we have very similar styles. I do want to mention that Eric is a black belt in <laughs> judo, and. I threw him about 25 feet over his head. So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so the first 30 seconds of our match 
was really looking good for me. <laughs> and then right up until the point where I turtled up <laughs> into the fetal position. And then, <laughs> and then he ended up on my back. Yeah, right. You were doing well until you didn't. I know. That's really the the bottom line. I was kicking his ass right up to the point where I got submitted. Yeah. <laughs> we have to we have another Patreon. Oh, shout we, out. do we? Yeah. Uh Scott Weaver. He's a uh I appreciate his uh his patronage a lot actually cuz he came from uh us posting on Reddit, which means Oh, really? fully organic. Uh So he's an actual follower. fan. Yeah, he's an actual fan. He's not afraid that I'm gonna beat his ass on the mats. Yeah. If he does, ninety percent of our fans are just people that we train with. Yeah. You know, and then uh, which our, is fine. That's good. But plus our moms. Yeah. So. I told my mom not to listen because I was talking <laughs> trash about her last episode. I haven't heard from my aunt, so I don't guess that. Uh, I don't guess she heard the episode. Listening? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, shout out to Scott Weaver. <laughs> I'm so happy that we have that sound effect now. So what's even funnier about that sound effect for people who don't know is, first of all, Johnny and I had come up with that before Submission Hunter Pro did. And, <laughs> and so last night, we've, I mean, we've been making jokes about doing this since the first episode, like months ago. Turns out that's the sound effect that Submission Hunter Pro plays when you win by submission. So the whole freaking night, all we heard was, Johnny Wester! <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> So it was a good event, and and if you're not familiar with Submission Hunter Pro, you should check them out. Garcia Promotions, Eric Garcia puts it on. It was a really good promotion. I just, I just don't know why they chose to. I don't know why the announcer didn't think that maybe he should change his announcement from his strip club to what he was doing because he literally said every time, "Welcome to the stage," yeah, and I'm like, it. Maybe, you know, because he was introducing kids like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just kept waiting for him to say, welcome to the stage, Cinnamon. <laughs> he said, <laughs> like he's going to have a slip. He trails off on his words like that, too, because he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we've got concessions. <laughs> I know. And he's like, no, I went I, <laughs> I went to announcer school. I know what I'm doing. Okay? Yeah. You're not in the biz. Do you want the stripper voice or do you want the, <laughs> the auctioneer? <laughs> I've only got two. I've only got auctioneer and stripper voice. <laughs> That was all because of a shout out to Scott. He makes uh, guitars, which I think is really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. You should make one for the podcast and we'll hang it up on the wall and then we can take pictures from the podcast and put it up. There you go, Scott. I'm waiting. Scott, send us a guitar. Yeah. He actually, he had a... Uh, is it Scott or Sean? Scott. Scott. Okay. Yeah. He had uh, some subject matter for us to go over too. Which oh, I, that's awesome. He, he messaged me on Instagram and was like, dude, you need to talk about this. Had some subject matter suggested matching academy geese, uh, people, gyms that like force you to buy their gi or their apparel, their stuff, blue belt testing, doing like a, a testing for blue belt and then just cult like behaviors, um, stuff like that. I think the, the matching academy geese, I, th I think that, you know, like I have a, <sighs> I kind of have an issue with it and then I kind of don't at the same time because like. You know, you're just trying to make money. We've got, right. we've all got to figure out ways to make money. And like, you think at at Atos they have uh, Atos, Atos, whatever. I'm just making up words. Yeah, I don't read the Bible, dude. I don't know what it's called. And it's, especially don't read it in Portuguese. Well, it obviously shows you know something because um, you have to know about that for yeah. you to. Well, if you've listened to Andre Galvo talk, you have to know about yeah, it. Yeah, he does talk about it a lot. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, like they're all wearing the same gear. I get it, like. 
people are going to buy it. Yep. So why not sell it? Well, and the thing is, is like with Atos and um, the, what is it? The University of Jiu-Jitsu? The oh. Mendez brothers? Oh, um, Art of Jiu-Jitsu. Art of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Okay. AOJ, yeah, yeah. Because they do the same thing. Yeah. But AOJ has a a contract or whatever with Ruka. Mm-hmm. And so that's where their stuff comes from. So it's like a partnership deal there. Right. They go a little bit, some of it, they only allow white geese, which is understandable because they have white mats. Right. So it goes with the theme of the gym. Well, and also keeping it clean because the black and, and blue. Gets all over the mats. Yeah. Those have, but I've heard also that like they, uh, they've fired instructors for like having long, long facial hair. Get out of town. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy that I, I wish I, I should find the, I believe it was a Reddit thread. A guy was talking about he was an instructor at AOJ um, and they fired him because he had too long a facial hair. You know, that that business model only works in a place like that. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you're not people don't start training at AOJ because for any other reason other than who owns the gym. Right. And those people have made their mark in jujitsu. They're not going anywhere. So you can enforce ridiculous rules like that. But if you and I did that, right. nobody would sign everybody would talk shit about the gym and nobody would sign up. Well, and the funny thing is like I've always in my gym, I, I have a philosophy in business that I, I shouldn't. The goal is not for me to figure out how to make you buy something. The goal is for me to figure out how to make you want to buy yes, something from me. Exactly. And so I believe that if my product is good enough, if my jujitsu, my teaching, my gym, my culture in the gym is good enough, then I shouldn't have to uh, make you do that. And also... We have at Westside, we have Westside MMA geese, you know, yeah. we are, you know, for the jujitsu program, but nobody makes them. You don't have to buy that. But the reason that we sell so many of them is because the person who's coming in trying jujitsu for the first time, they don't know anything about geese. They don't know where to buy geese. They don't know mm-hmm. what, what uh, brands are, are good. I get asked all the time, like, hey, man, what's a what's a good brand yeah. to buy? Yeah. Offering an academy gi like that really takes a lot of the thought out of having to think about that. So we do sell a lot of the West side geese, uh, to the beginners because it takes the thinking process out. They don't, you're not dealing with a lot of thrifty shoppers who are going out there and going to Amazon and, and looking at the best deals. And this is, you know, they just go, you know what, just take my money. It's going to be easier for me to not to have to think about this. Like you already offer all the products. It's mm-hmm. easy that way, but we don't have a rule that says you have to wear our Academy Gi. And then even the higher rank guys, uh, the color belts, They'll buy them too because they love the gym. They want to have the patches and stuff on there and, and they want to support the gym. So they buy them, like you said, right? not forcing them to do it, but they want to do it. You know, I think that we have some of the coolest t-shirts that are, that are offered. Um, I think a lot of like some of the ideas that are come, they come up with at the gym for t-shirt ideas are just hilarious. You guys do have some good t-shirts. They're really awesome. And, and I think that Matt Hamilton is the one that, primarily designs those things. i've always wondered that because you guys had a um a long time ago when you guys were, had a catch wrestling mm-hmm. at, the, at the gym there you guys had a t-shirt that was the wu-tang t-shirt yeah catch rolls everything around me yep and i was like dude god damn it i know i, I was so jealous of that shirt because i was like i wish i want to do catch wrestling at my gym just so i can come Have up with shirt. that shirt yeah i and so i wasn't i wasn't there when catch wrestling was being offered billy robinson was the coach mm-hmm. um and if, if those of you got that out there listening 
if you don't know who Billy Robinson is, go look him up. He, he passed away several years ago, but he was a founding father of catch wrestling. He was from England. Um, he did some amazing things for the for the sport of catch wrestling. And I don't know the full story, but, you know, coincidentally, he, he lived in Arkansas. I think maybe his daughter or somebody mm-hmm. had lived in Arkansas. So he was living here and ended up working at the gym. You know, I mean, this living legend of a catch wrestler uh, from England was living in Arkansas and teaching at Westside. Roley was wearing that shirt not too long ago. So it's funny you bring it up. And I'm a huge Wu-Tang uh, fan. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then I realized what it was. Yeah. And I don't know that there, I mean, there's not, that you can't find those shirts anymore. Right. Know, only a few people still have them. And so it, it, it is a really awesome shirt. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good one for sure. We had a really cool one that had Mike Tyson on it. The yeah. Mike Tyson punch out digital. Mm-hmm. And it said Westside MMA. I had a lot of people, I would travel to other gyms and people would see that shirt. I had like two or three people that asked me to send, they gave me money to send them one back. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it, awesome. it went out really quick. One thing that I love about our gym and, and you have the same thing also, because here's the thing. And I don't want to make fun of other gyms who do this, but like a lot of gyms, MMA gyms and jujitsu gyms will feed off of, or they'll utilize the whole like, um, Spartan warrior. Yeah. Mind, you know, and I'll so make like, fun of gyms that do that. Do yeah, better. Do like, better. Damn it. Yeah. And like, just do better. Come on guys. <laughs> but there was a time when I was a young white belt. Cause the gym I started at in Louisiana would have stuff like that. You know, we yeah. had a shirt that said like iron sharpens iron. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, that's super. Cause I, I was young, young. And, the, and so like, I wanted everybody to know I trained and I wanted people to think I was a badass. And I've mentioned this on other past episodes where now I avoid talking about it at all costs. Yeah. Like when people are like, what happened to your ears? I was like, well, I was born with like this. <laughs> so you just pointed out to everybody that I have a birth defect. Yeah. I'm also an Audi. <laughs> I'm not. That's fucking gross. Um, like how does your belly button face out? Disgusting. Did don't they, they don't didn't, talk to me. They didn't actually cut the umbilical cord. They just plucked it off. That's Man, what, I need to make more room back here for myself. You're, you're in a cage. <laughs> yeah. Going back to that, you know, I thought I first saw the whole ghee, matching ghee thing. Um, I coached at a Gracie Baja gym for a small amount of time and it was like that as well. Like, and the owner who owned it was a, uh, a young blue belt or well, he wasn't young, but he was a blue belt and he had kind of bought into it. But the thing is, is Gracie Baja started offering that, that idea for a franchise is good for business owners oh, yeah. who are not creating their own gyms mm-hmm. because it again, takes all the thinking out of it. Here's our, here's our t-shirts. Here's our testing standards. Here's everything we want. And then all you have to do is just cookie cutter it and, and open up a storefront. Right. And then you've got everything you need. Again, like my, my goal for the gym is to make it, um, uh, autonomous, like it, for it to work, uh, on its own and for it to, so that I can spend as much time on the mats as I, as I can. I don't want to be behind the desk. That's not where, that's not why I got into the sport. And so, you know? How and I'll ask you this, and I, I, Daniel's probably the one I should ask this to, but um, how much of your profit every month mm-hmm. honestly comes from merchandise? Not much. Not much. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. much. Not much at all. And so when it comes to a situation like that, when you're outside of the Atos bubble and you're outside of the AOJ bubble, and even the Gracie Baja bubble, and you're making these rules where hey, you have to wear our gi and you have to wear our shirts, stuff like that. I get you're trying to make money, mm-hmm. but when you're nickel and diming people like that, what makes money is their monthly tuition. Yeah. And when you nickel and dime people like that, it's going to get people to, they're just not going to want to be a part of it, especially when they find another gym within 
a 25 mile range yeah. that doesn't require that and is equally priced, mm-hmm. who's also a black belt. Like you're just putting yourself in a position, especially when you're competing against other gyms in the area where anything you, any reason you can give a student to look elsewhere, they're going to, you right. know, and then they're going to talk shit about you when they <laughs> sign up at the other gym, Yeah, you know, and then that breeds negativity in the community. And so like you could have an amazing gym and a really good atmosphere, but all it takes is one person to go to another gym and talk shit, spread the rumor. And now everybody's like, Oh man, do you hear that gravitas? Like you have to wear their uniform. You have to call Johnny uh, master. <laughs> um, you do, by the way. I do. Yeah. I only do it because you asked me to do it. Right. And well, now that you have won a black belt uh, submission hunter pro match, I have to. Do, I'm just gonna start calling you Chicken Wing. Chicken That's Wing. <laughs> it's like Littlefoot, but <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I see both sides of it. You Absolutely. know, like there is this. We have to make money at what yep. we do, um, and everybody's gonna find that differently. And you have to remember too that everybody gets into jujitsu for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my personal philosophy with like things that involve the gym say like designs of t-shirts my the design of my logo i wanted it something ambiguous that you can attach your own your own meaning to mm-hmm. right like when you see that it, my logo is an anchor with some like uh some laurels on the side of it it was like the only thing i learned how to draw whenever i did my tattoo apprenticeship that it's just something that's a little bit ambiguous that people can they recognize that it's gravitas and they can attach their own meaning to it i use that to attract people from all different types of of life and i think whenever you create a business model that um, creates a like a uniform system like that that you narrow your scope you do because people are going to come in that are there for other reasons mm-hmm. and, and not for the uh the discipline and the structure and the all of that like they come in because they want the camaraderie they, they want the friendship they want to hang out and whenever they have they have to make sure they bow to every black belt they see and don't look him straight in the eyes and that kind of stuff then they lose that idea of brotherly you know camaraderie and stuff there's i think there's a lot of old school mentality that is slowly going the way of the buffalo um shout out to mxpx (laughs) so i i do have friends that came from backgrounds that were structured that way even i came from that background um and now having moved into a more laid back when i even when i own my gym I, i kept a lot of the old school ways of doing things but as i as i progressed and got older and more experienced i personally just stopped caring about all that stuff but there are groups out there in in these smaller communities, I guess, that grew up on that where, you know, like you said, like you don't ask higher ranks to train. I would never train then because, you know, if I if, if I was only training with the people I wanted to train with all the like if I was being extremely selfish and was like, no, I'm only training with the people that I want to train with. I would train with the same three people all the time. Yeah, and I would probably tend to choose the easy rounds. Of, yeah, I would absolutely, mm-hmm. you know. If there was a blue belt that was beating my ass, I wouldn't go roll with them. No, and it paid off because training with white and blue belts. <laughs> yeah. Which is how you got so good at the chicken wing. At the more. chicken wing. More. So, and it goes back to, we talk about the white geese. Like, you're like, they only allow white geese. AOJ has a niche. So they have only white geese, and then their no-gi stuff is all black, you know. And, yeah. Which is kind of... That is kind of weird. Kind of yeah. weird because no, about it. we talked about how, well, oh, you know, white and blue or blue and black geese will leave marks on the mats, but then all their nogi stuff is straight black. And yeah. so it's like, well, is it that really the reason? No, <laughs> I don't think it is. Yeah, that's um, true. The other thing about like Atos, they've developed a brand mm-hmm. and now 
it's a flag. And so now whenever they go to that name has been built around guys like Josh Hinger and, and Andre Gaval and all those guys. And so now when they go to competitions and people see the Atos patch or they see the Atos Nogi stuff, they're like, oh, shit. Like they've yeah, developed that. That's I, true. So now, guys, I don't mean to say that it's pulling the tap out thing, you know, because back in the day when tap out was was brand new and it wasn't the douchebag apparel that it is now or that it became – when people saw that, they were like, there's a, you remember full contact fighter, that apparel? Yeah. yeah. Like when I would see people wearing that, I was like, oh man, those guys, those, they have to train. There's yeah, no, you know, cause yeah, nobody was that. wearing it, mm-hmm. but then it became commercial and now you've got extreme couture, all that. And, but the thing is, is people want to wear those brands now that are sold by those particular gyms because it puts them into a, it makes an assumption about who they are mm-hmm. and the category that they fall into. You know I mean? If we were at AGF and and some black belt stepped on the mat with a, a an Atos rash guard, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, not <laughs> Maybe because I I'm should a, reconsider. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should go back to a different division. And that's what they've built with that, I yeah. think. You know, and so it has. You can order those on the internet. Yeah, I'm going to start. Yeah. It's twofold. I'm not sold either way on it because, like you said, they have a right to make money. Yeah. And when you're in a business like that, I mean, look at car sales. Look at all the weird, crazy gimmicks that you see in car sales. Mm-hmm. You got to make money. But like I said, you even said a small percentage of your profit comes from merchandise sales. And so it's about the long game. How is this going to affect your student base if you're forcing that stuff on them? But I think there's a way you can develop a culture within your gym, like you said, that makes people want to buy that stuff anyways. Yeah. So why mm-hmm. force it? Yep. You know, that's part of the fun to me, too, of owning a business. Well, hitting on the other thing that he talked about with blue belt testing and stuff. Yeah. So, oh, that's right. That's right. Testing. It, yeah. When it comes to belt testing, so we don't belt test. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've we, talked about that. Yeah. Now we do testing for the kids, and but we don't do adult testing. Mm-hmm. And there are gyms, there's a lot of organizations out there. Um, the organization that I came from, I, and the thing is, is I don't have a problem diming out organizations. I don't, because what are they going to do? Come to my house? Yeah. You know what I mean, like, I, I seriously doubt they're going to make it that big of a deal. And they're going to just be like, oh, fuck that guy. Well, you know what? If you heard me, that means you were listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So joke's on you. Subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you if you donate $100 to our Patreon, I'll let you come on the show and just say, fuck you. And defend yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the Pedro Sauer organization. Okay, yeah. So I have a lot of respect for Master Sauer. I have a lot of respect for his jujitsu and his organization and everything. Um, but they, and they do blue belt testing, but they don't do purple, brown or black belt. Oh, they do black belt testing and blue belt testing. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was weird when I did my quote unquote blue belt test. Right. So there's 88 techniques that you have to learn for your blue belt. And it's like this little sheet and you go through them and you learn them throughout your time. And then when it came for me to get promoted to blue belt, I didn't have to do any of it. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, here's the blue belt test. But then my the black belt from our organization who was under master Pedro Sauer, my instructor's word was enough. Mm-hmm. So when my instructor said, Hey, I want to, I want to promote these two guys to blue belt at this seminar. He wasn't like, okay, cool. Let's get him in front of the class and make him do all 88 techniques. It was just like, okay, well I'll take your word for it. Yeah. So it's like, well, what's the, what's the fucking point? Maybe as a, as a structure for, uh, for did he, they had like a, a set of things that you needed to know. Is that yeah. There was they, 88 techniques that okay, you had yeah. to know. Maybe just as a structure to base it on. And then, uh, you know, whoever Pedro Sauer promotes the black belt, he he has the understanding. That well, what's I, even funnier you know. about that is the story behind the blue belt test that Pedro Sauer has in his organization, because he, he's been questioned about, like, how did you come up with the testing stuff? Basically, when he moved to America 
and started doing jujitsu in Salt Lake City and stuff like that. And I guess Americans were used to like katas and curriculums and things like that. Yeah. And so a lot of his students were wanting to know those things. Like, what do I need to know? What moves do I need to know to get the blue belt? He phoned back to Brazil to Master Elio, asked him, and they just sent him like a random list of moves. I don't, I don't remember the, all the details, but that's how the blue belt test. And like Pedro Sowers even said this. He's like, the blue belt test that we have is just, it's a, it's a list of techniques that I got from Master Elio years and years and years ago when people started asking me what techniques they should know for blue belt. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Americans do. Yeah. Americans are used to karate at the time where you learn these 10 katas and then you get your black belt or mm -hmm. you get your belt. And so they were asking those questions and he didn't have an answer. So he created something. When you promote for your black belt, you have to do the testing too. And you go through all the self-defense techniques and all the different uh, knife defense and gun defenses, which I think are pretty cool. And I, I think they're fun. And I've even started experimenting, not experimenting, but I've started messing around with weapons defenses again and doing a little bit more self-defense stuff. Just my mind, my mind has shifted into a little kind of a combatives place mm -hmm. as aside from sports jiu-jitsu right now. Yeah, that makes sense. But you do that. And I think at the black belt level, it's just, it's a ceremonial formality kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's a way of, of everybody kind of making a ceremony out of it. But the blue belt testing, I'm of the, uh, I'm of the belief that nobody is going, you can't tell somebody these are the new moves you need to get to blue belt. The reality of it is, is to tell somebody that everybody in your gym needs to know these particular moves or else they're not a blue belt is silly because your game is totally different from mine. Right. I don't do, I don't do chicken wings. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I don't even have much of a guard. I'm more of a guard passer. And so, but then to tell me, you know, if, if my coach came and said, Hey Mitch, you're going to be testing for your Brown belt. Um, you need to know seven moves from De La Hiva, seven moves from reverse De La Hiva, um, five moves from spider guard. What good is that? Right. If I listen, assuming I wasn't an instructor, assuming I wasn't going to be an instructor or a coach, I was just recreational. What's the benefit? I'm never going to use those techniques. I understand there's benefit in knowing them because you can use that in knowledge to defeat it and blah, 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 blah. I get it. But it doesn't prove that doesn't make me a brown belt i don't think that uh not everybody's brain works that way right. they're like they can't they can't categorize things like that they can't articulate what they're doing a lot of the time there's a lot of moves that i'm doing that i'm like dude i have no fucking clue how i'm getting there yeah but i'm doing it <laughs> and there and you know and like through time i'll start to be able to articulate it because it's i'm teaching as well so that helps but you know not everybody their brain just doesn't work like that some I people see shapes some people see numbers you know I think that belt testing is good for kids mm, because yeah. it provides goals for them. Structure. Structure, it, yeah. exactly, which is, is which is what you want to look for um, when you get into martial arts for your kids, when you yeah. put your kids in martial arts. I don't I – don't, uh, I make my, kid, my kids do testing. I, I was thinking about this actually the other day and just thinking about testing in general. Like the, it's a big deal for the kids. Mm -hmm. And not all the kids get to compete. Not all of them want to compete. Um, a lot of their parents don't want them to compete and that's fine, but they do the, they do the testing and that's like almost a form of, of competing for them yeah. because they're so nervous. They make it a big deal, even though it's not, they do, it's the same moves that we've been doing in class. I don't let them test if I don't think that they can do the moves. Mm -hmm. I, and I basically put them through a testing the week of, and they, you know, it's like to make sure that they're all ready. And, uh, so it's not a big deal. 
they make it a big deal though right um and so it's it puts pressure on them and you want to see how the how they react under that pressure i think we're kind of doting on this subject though i think we're <laughs> going in circles with it let's get on to the 52 blocks which kind of goes into the katas too yeah because they do uh so 52 blocks is a uh there's two there's two different names for what we're going to be talking about jailhouse rock is a term used to describe any kind of structured fighting style that comes up in the U.S. penitentiary system. But apparently, if you ask anybody that was in the U.S. penitentiary system in the 70s, uh, if 52 blocks is jailhouse rock, they'll tell you, no, it's much uh, different. Which is weird because when I Googled jailhouse rock they come up together they come up together right it says also known as 52 blocks yeah and i so i'd like i'd found a really good article i for i need to start writing this stuff down you remember i was telling you like i feel like we're just doing book reports yeah <laughs> this is one of the things because i was like i was when we were doing the rough and tumble thing i'm reading through it and i was like man he's citing all of his sources you know i was like remember when we had to do bibliographies and stuff yep like man i'm so glad i don't have to do that shit anymore Sign. and then i forgot to even mention the uh the name of the book that oh, i was reading way to go that that guy wrote so real quick i won't mention it because i didn't write down the uh, title so whatever All right. sorry guys just go google it <clears throat> yeah go google that guy that i talked about in the last episode anyways but uh <laughs> so whatever site it was it had a really good write-up on it and um it was talking about the name is really controversial like where the 52 blocks name right. came from, which to me is obvious. Um, like in their katas, they have 52 different blocks. Mm -hmm. They say though that there's, um, that it might've come, like the reason they came up with 52 of them was because they game 52 card pickup, mm. the prank, you know, or like, hey, right. you ever play 52 card pickup and you throw a bunch of cards everywhere. And it's a form of deception, which is like a common fact, a common theme in, 52 blocks so and is there is there 52 blocks it different styles vary um i think so as far as they they have what's called the program mm -hmm. which is like their curriculum uh, would be equivalent to a curriculum and it's uh it's 52 blocks they argue um the other one too the other the other controversial name origin was the fitness game where you throw down a card and then you do that many push-ups or you throw Never heard of it Really? Nope. Are you serious? I know. Dude, I thought you were fucking with me. And no. You, you, <laughs> like, they do that in the military all the time, too. Like, I thought I it was... I know you were a subject matter expert in the military. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was like a game that they would play when they're bored in the military. But yeah, so you assign uh, an exercise, a bodyweight exercise to um, a spade or spades and <clears throat> the hearts and, you know, a different one for whatever. And then whatever card you throw down. You do five sit-ups. You I throw like down it. another card, you do three push-ups, you know, and by the end you're doing a fucking shit ton. So yeah, they they say that's that's one of the things that it came from. Um and so because it came up in the penitentiary, like all of this is is likely. Mm -hmm. You know, because they're playing cards. They're, that's about the only thing that they can do. And uh so it makes sense that it might come from from that. Yeah. Um and and I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who has two brothers in jail. That's true. Yeah. Do you really <laughs> so, have two brothers? Yeah. In jail? My, my brothers are, it's, my dad was, is a retired police officer. God bless him. Yeah. Both of my brothers are repeat offenders. And, uh, which the, the best part about my brothers being, so my youngest brother 
um, he just has a problem with drinking and then getting behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. And then getting pulled over afterwards. <laughs> uh, it's not a big deal if you don't get pulled over. But um, and, but my or other kill brother. kill anyone. Yeah, or kill anyone, which he hasn't done yet. Or we're, himself. Luckily. We're not promoting drinking and driving. I know. But my other younger brother, who's just below me, he is a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. And... and <laughs> He's never mentioned 52 blocks in the prison system. <laughs> he was living with my sister for a little bit. Him and his girlfriend were living with my sister and her husband for a while. Um, and then money started coming up missing out of my sister's bank account. And it went on for like a month or two because my sister was like, oh, it must be my husband who's taking the money out. And then her husband was like, oh, it must be my si- you know, my wife that's doing it. And then finally, they were both like, what did you take out $500 for? And he's like, I didn't do that. I thought you did. And they're like, God damn it. So <laughs> then, um, and my brother-in-law was uh, is a police officer. So like he went and found the ATM and then pulled the security footage. And like, there's my brother on video taking money out of the account. And he still said he didn't do it. Oh, he wow. still was like, it was the, the, uh, the these aren't my pants excuse. Mm-hmm. And um, which is super common within the, uh, the penitentiary system also, you know. You ever and, watch Run, Runny, Run? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I was here and they built the house around me. <laughs> <laughs> I love David Cross. And, yeah. Uh, and those guys. Maynard James Keenan from Tool womp womp, is uh, is in that, actually. Is he really? What yeah. character does he play? He played, um, he was in the, there was a band that was playing at some point in there and he played one of the members of the band. Okay. Um, I don't remember that scene, but I can, yeah. I can picture it a little bit. It was a great movie. The, uh, dude, one of the most underrated movies ever. It really is. It's, it's Joe Dirt. It's the original. The original. Joe Dirt. Yeah. And then, um, and then they went on. David Cross went on to create because it was a was it a skit on Mr. Show? I think. Which oh, was, I don't know. Yeah, Mr. Show was really good. Was really good back in the day too with David Cross. And then I think it was an offshoot from that. And then they made a movie out of it. But um, yeah, I was here first. And they built a the house around me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, no, okay, so back to 52 Blocks. They, they say that Jailhouse Rock was more conventional boxing. 52 Blocks was a little bit more defensive stuff because there's a lot of elbows mm-hmm. involved, like high elbow blocks and stuff, which is a little bit reminiscent of Dustin Poirier's uh, hillbilly shoulder roll. Right. Just to basically covering your, using your forearms and your elbows to cover up. A lot of the videos made the point that you, you're still able to use elbows whenever you're in handcuffs, mm-hmm. whenever you're in shackles or whatever. You're able to cover and, and block with your elbows. So a lot of it was designed in order to do that. Yeah, and you you and I talked about it last night about the idea that it originated from the slave trade mm-hmm. um, all the way back where they were in shackles. Yeah. And they had to use defensive systems to protect themselves from beatings, uh, whether it was you know, from each other or from their owners or whatever, because one of the videos I'd watched, he actually showed several different blocks that led to elbow strikes and stuff like that with your hands being shackled together. Right. Defending against knives, things like that. Um, what I thought was really interesting about it was the, the use of elbows, kind of like what you'd see in Muay Thai, but in a different way, like the, the, the striking points were different where you would use, you would use an elbow block to, block a jab with the hopes that it would break their hand on your elbow mm-hmm. and follow it up with a secondary elbow strike to the face, to the neck or whatever, even using the elbows to block haymakers and using the elbow to drive into the brachial artery on the bicep to disable the bicep. Daniel Cormier does a, um, it's not, he's not really using his elbow, but it derives from, you'll see Jack Johnson do it from back in the day. 
There's a lot of people don't realize this, but the when guitar, Jack, the guitar player, yeah, uh, Jack Johnson, the boxer, whenever oh. he was, whenever he was, that era of boxing actually looked a lot more like grappling from stand up. They played a lot of dirty boxing. You could clinch for a lot longer. A lot of times you could. Um, there wasn't like a standing eight count. Mm-hmm. Like you'd knock somebody down and then wait for them to get back on their feet and immediately immediately pounce on them again. Stuff like that. Um, he uses this this uh, technique where basically he'll he'll straighten his arm out, put his shoulder up to his ear. So uh, and so when somebody punches, he ends up with an overhook. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit reminiscent of that as well. The the elbows to breaking the hands. I think that makes a point to the shanks. Uh, yeah. One of the things that you have to consider in a penitentiary is people with with uh, shivs or shanks. And so using the elbows makes sense because you are you have to hide your forearms whenever you're working with knife defense and stuff. But at least the, the soft part of your forearms because that's where if you get cut there, there's arteries there and stuff. Yes. You want to hit that bony part. So using the elbows, uh, again, goes into that. Prote- yeah, that. protecting that. And in the research that I was doing, and they talked about if you have a shiv and they have a shiv, using the elbow blocks and then setting up a slash of your own. And like I said, they they kept going back to the inside of the bicep. I don't, I don't know why that was – maybe it was because – like I, I didn't hear – you don't – I didn't see a lot of body strikes where you're like going to the sternum or the ribs or the stomach or anything like that. It was mostly like strikes to the face – strikes to the inside of the biceps i wonder how much of it has to do with the law you know i mean like i don't know how it works but i i mean maybe if i um you know if i stab you in the gut i might get charged with attempted murder if maybe. i stab you in the arm i'm it's like a ba- assault and battery, assault and battery or yeah. something i i honestly have no clue but i don't either that would make sense if something some rule is but i like think that. maybe it goes back more to considering this fighting style was in the prison systems and the idea was is that you're you're not you're not fighting this guy because you had a disagreement over the way he looked at your girlfriend at the bar and then the cops are going to swoop in and break it up like you guys are fighting most likely in a secluded area because you, the intent is to kill the other person and if you both have a shiv and I sh- and I slash at your bicep now you have one arm mm-hmm. whereas if I maybe I stab you in the gut you're going to I mean, people people will fight on for for an hour or two with with gut you know wounds, with stomach wounds, slashes and things like that. But disabling your opponent's ability to fight back with you, I think, is a bigger part of why that was yeah, the that case. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because um, there were neck strikes also with the elbows, where you you strike right to like the uh, carotid artery. Here's uh, another here's another thought: is um, if they're considering that they need to protect themselves from guards, the guards have bulletproof vests on. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't make sense to try and stab him in the body. You'd yeah. go for arms and neck. Just devil's advocate thinking yeah. about different different uh, ideas. They had a couple uh, of popular, famous fighters. Remember we were talking about mm-hmm. the rough and tumble. And another interesting thing that I, fa- I thought was they considered there's an argument for this uh, 52 blocks as the first American martial art, even though... So the two the two uh, arguments are that it was originated. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Africa has its own martial arts, mm-hmm. and the only thing that um, is required for something to be considered a martial art is for it to be codified. 
so a, like a code system to the to the martial art um so it doesn't have to be from asia or whatever it can be from anywhere but as long as it has a code system i th- i think a ranking structure is is what goes into it as well um then it, that makes it a martial art so there's a lot of martial arts and and fighting styles that came over from africa africa with um when we brought slaves over and so a lot of that um they think was uh, developed and kind of brought up because of what the Americans did to African Americans throughout time is put them into ghettos, mm-hmm. then put them into penitentiaries and prisons. And so that allowed this system to brew and to be developed in a high, high stakes area that is being tested daily. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it from that perspective, because when you hear about Asian martial arts and, in you know, like Kung Fu and different things like that. A lot of those either were derived from the monks or they were derived from like a samurai type deal, Mm -hmm. but they were useful during that time. But as time progressed and samurais were no longer in play, um, not sword sword fighting, not like that. So then the art just, it carried over, Mm. but it lost its reality. Yeah. Um, what is, which is why I think 52 blocks was so interesting because the origin of the of the fighting style was really in my i mean it was it was developed in violence you know in africa where you were it was tribal uh, most likely and they were defending themselves against other humans for survival and then the slave trade uh, did what it did and, and brought them here and then they were again fighting for their own survival in a lot of situations yep and then through uh, systemic reasons the way that um, they were, like you said, they were pushed into the ghettos, uh, into the penal system. So it's almost one of the most pure forms of martial arts that has maintained its relevancy in reality because its origin started in, in a place of violence and in a, in a place of, of self-defense, true self-defense. Yeah. And then even up to this day, utilizing it in the prison systems like they're doing is it's maintained its its roots and reality based components, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas I think we can both agree that, you know, most of your karate and taekwondo and so, you know, you ask any, any of your taekwondo and karate instructors, why are we doing this block? And why are we doing this block? It's all, it's all a, a, a guess. Like most of those people are guessing. Yeah. So I've actually had this conversation before. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about my coach, he's Mr. Jing is a ninth degree taekwondo <clears throat> black belt mm-hmm. and he's done it at this point he's like man i've just done it so long i might as well just keep doing it yeah um he's like one of the high he's actually inducted into the i think i've said it before he's inducted in the taekwondo hall of fame in thailand and there's like something like i think 20 people are in in the hall of fame at this point and he's one of them out of the millions of people that are doing it um but anyways he can break it down and show you where a lot of the katas and the moves originate like why they were useful when they were were developed and then how you can adapt them now to be functional. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. Like, cause he does the, he does like a lot of sidekicks and a lot of stuff like that, that honestly I just can't do. And he makes them effective um, because he's, he's competed with them and stuff. Um, And a lot of the Taekwondo techniques, the katas and stuff, for instance, like a karate chop to the throat, right? A lot of people don't realize if you have a blade in your hand, that looks a little, uh, really similar. Right. You know, and so believe it or not, a 
quote unquote karate chop to the to the neck fucking hurts it dude does hurt. it can put somebody down i've had it done uh it's called a brachial stun yeah and like tie clinch that's how i always teach tie clinch like fucking karate chop the shit out of their neck mm-hmm. and you'll get them to move like they'll they'll kind of fall a little bit when you do it so some of that is is really useful but you have to understand the full origins and able to apply it and make use of it and throw away what's not necessary anymore mm-hmm. If you're carrying around a sword all day, then you have to make the techniques that you use useful for that sword. If you're not, then you have to change those. Yeah. Some of them might carry over. Some of them aren't going to. Yeah. And with this, you mentioned the sword thing and, and saying, you know, judo coming from the samurai fighting styles, it was applicable because the amount of armor that they wore, yeah. the amount of grips that you could have to do your throws and things like that. And I've only seen pictures of samurai uh, armor and stuff like that, but you know, there was a lot of hand placements that you could utilize to, to do throws. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things you weren't going to be able to get away with. Punching a samurai in the chest didn't do much because yeah. he's wearing chest plates, right. you know, and, and a helmet and gear like that, you know. Then we put a gi on and then we still use the same grips, you know, so I get it. If you, if you look at judo as a self-defense system, if you toss a person on their head on the concrete, it's going to fuck them up. Yeah. But that's as far as it really goes. Right. You know, like there's... The second that you start looking for the chokes and the arm locks and things like that, in my opinion, even with jujitsu, and I'm I'm a black belt in jujitsu, and I'm saying this, there are pieces of jujitsu that um, that are just irrelevant in real self defense scenarios. Yeah, um, I get people ask me all the time, like, "Hey, man, you black belt in jujitsu." What would you do if you were to bar get into a fight? Run away. I'm gonna run. No, yeah. I tell everybody that the the First thing I'm going to do is take my right leg and kick them in their left knee as hard as I possibly <laughs> yeah. can and try to blow out their knee. Yeah. And that's not even a jiu-jitsu technique. Right. Right. And then really. I don't know. I saw a horse try to do that in UFC one. Well, I'm not talking about a front kick. I'm talking about like a side <laughs> kick, like blow their MCL out. Grappling martial arts, although I do believe they're superior to many, many other martial arts. It's a, it's a good skill to have in your back pocket in the event that someone jumps on you or gets in your personal space, mm-hmm. you know, but if you don't have to grapple, why the fuck would you grapple? Yeah. You if, know? if you are, if you're in a multiple attacker yeah. scenario, absolutely not. Don't ever, if I have to neutralize one person, I'm okay with it. But I also use my grappling to prevent it from, from going to the ground. They shoot on me and I sprawl yes. so I can take the back. Like you did like last night. Spin, yeah. You had some great sprawls. Dude, honestly, I was, I was impressed with impressed. my hip there. I was like, whoa. Yeah, like, yeah. ooh. Yeah. People it, forget that I know how to wrestle. That's probably because I mean, I had you never years, display it. <laughs> I had 10 years of MMA. Yeah, yeah. well, because I'm six foot four. I'm not going <laughs> to shoot on somebody. All of my... It's because you could just reach them. Yeah, all of my, all of my wrestling is like Greco-Roman yeah. style wrestling. And that's why like... I try to focus in the gi a lot on judo mm-hmm. at getting better at judo. I like it. I want to get like ranked in judo, but I don't have a judo coach. I know. Well, Eric's a black belt in judo. He might be. Yeah, I just don't go up enough. If you want to learn how to do a fireman's carry, I'm, yeah. your, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. your boy. <laughs> uh, there's a couple uh, people, though, that are known for it. There was one one guy called Mother Deer, which I think is funny. Yeah. <laughs> A man named Mother Deer. And this was the 70s, though. Yeah. So, so again, was, this is where you're going to get your jive turkeys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he was a kind soul. Yeah. I always cook cornbread for everybody. Hey, did you hear so-and-so called uh, Mother Deer a jive turkey? 
<laughs> Did you fucking kill him? Uh, oh, hell no. Um, there's another guy named Glassman. Glassman? Glassman, Fat Cat, and True God. True God? True God is a Wu-Tang member as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's where he got the name or if maybe that's even him. Because they bring up uh, 52 Blocks and Wu-Tang. A lyrics. lot. Yeah. A lot, uh-huh. yeah. And apparently there's a connection with... Uh, queens new york mm-hmm. and 52 blocks yeah i saw that um on one of the videos that i was researching um there's a boxing gym there the in in queens new york um and there happens to be a guy there who does t- continues to teach 52 blocks as part of the boxing curriculum yeah um and you know he showed some some of the moves on the uh, on the heavy bag and stuff like that and what i liked about um that particular guy is he showed a lot of the techniques and then explained exactly why you would utilize them. And it made sense. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm going to like uh, going back to the karate katas and stuff like that. You know, all of those techniques have a purpose. We just may not know what they are. Right. Um, but that was what I really liked about him showing. Um, I can't remember what he called it. It was like the flying bird or something like that. It looked like you were making like the the shadow puppet with bird with your hand. Oh, um, but it was it was with your shackled, you know, and you do that, and it allows you to be able to uh, uh, defend knife defense, yeah, you know, knife attacks. There was one called their first the, and we're gonna learn. I've already committed. We're gonna learn all fifty two blocks, and we're gonna put them up on our Patreon. <laughs> so if you want to learn the fifty two blocks from Johnny and Mitch, get get on our Patreon because we're gonna be well, one of the videos soon. I watched. Um, I he just literally just danced around for a little bit yeah and called it 52 blocks so i could do that and no one's gonna know the difference there's a there one of the guys sells like a dvd that teaches all of it i want to buy it i, I could probably find it on the internet somewhere. i believe that you can and then that guy is he's literally sitting on his couch in a double wide and he gets Listening a check to this. Yeah. yeah he's gonna get a check for the one dvd that you bought yeah he's gonna be like oh subscribe shit. to our patreon we're gonna <laughs> buy that dvd no it's uh it's applicable i really i truly would like to learn it because it's it seems useful mm-hmm. and it's interesting. The history behind it is in is really interesting to me. It's got a lot more history, recorded history than rough and tumble. Yeah, obviously, um, because of the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, it, and then the, the the relevancy that it's continuing to have and socially too. Yeah. Like it, one of the most interesting things, this article that I was reading, I gotta start writing down the the links and stuff to share it. They were talking about when. African-American fighters started getting popular in boxing at the turn of the century, whenever like Jack Johnson started, you know, when he became champion and stuff, uh, they think because we had put them in the ghettos, we had put them through slavery, we've put them in prisons, like most, Jack Johnson was a, um, he, he was a, a convict, he was in, in jail for a while, um, they learned these blocks there and they developed them and they developed their reflexes in a high stakes Mm-hmm. arena that put them above everyone else when the when the white fighters got in there they well, yeah. couldn't they couldn't hang with them because they hadn't been put in these life or death scenarios to develop those reflexes and they weren't um, exposed to the techniques themselves and only the best came out you <clears throat> yeah. know what i'm saying so like only the best of the best survived well it was like mandingo fighting mandingo um, fighting you don't know anything about that no. I know you're thinking about the porn the star porn, right now. All I'm thinking about is just two big old wieners slapping against each other. So Mandigo fighting, uh, if you've ever seen, they, they they really actually talk a lot of, it's a big center point in the movie Django Unchained. Um, but it's uh, it was 
it was a lot of grappling, mm-hmm. but it uh, slave owners would would take these big giant African American guys and they would make them fight each other almost to the death, and they'd place bets on them. It was it was human cockfighting in the very beginning. Oh really? I didn't yeah. know about that. I mean, and, it makes sense that they people would do that, but it was so it was super disgusting. Yeah, because like. They would, you know, they would be in their mansion. They'd, they'd like spread the furniture out and they'd all sit around in their little, in their little smoking rooms. And then, you know, these, these two black guys are just mauling each other, you know. And the idea is that like if you win, you get to eat in the house, you know. It's like it's really fucked That's up. That's insane. Super dude. fucked up. But it was, again, like you said, the, the only people who made it out were the best fighters, right. the biggest, the strongest, the best cardio, you know. And so it, it gave these, these fighters an incentive because to them it was it wasn't a career but it was an incentive to be like well it tonight i get to sleep in the house i don't have yeah. to sleep in the quarters or you know um i get to eat a hot meal i'm not just getting scraps put off the table you know so there was this survival um incentive to to do mandingo fighting that's um, wild and they would that's trade nice. mandingo fighters just like they would in the slave trade you could you could trade them like on a baseball team and then um, they would go and buy them and carry them around with them all over the country and put them in fights all over the country, all over the South, you know, and um, which wouldn't be a bad topic for a future episode. Mandingo fighting? Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty intense. And and since we started doing this podcast, you know, it's kind of forced me to look outside the box of these different mm-hmm. fighting styles, which is kind of what one of our premises is for the podcast. And And I think maybe that's where some of my shift, even in my own martial arts journey has gone to the more combative style martial arts because one of the episodes we're going to do in the future is over a native American fighting style. Yeah. And then when you start reading about these native American fighting styles and you watch these videos and things like that, and you, it it really takes you out of one. It takes you out of the, the Asian stronghold because the Asian uh, community, not, I shouldn't say that. It's not like a group of Asians. I think I think the American community or the American people have romanticized the Asian the side. Asian martial yes. arts so yes. much. Yeah, and really, if you if you look at the other martial arts that came out of other cultures, like the Native American cultures and the African American cultures, um, the African cultures, the African cultures. I'm sorry, you're right. It's more in line with it's more in line with what you would expect out of the American culture. The practicality, the violence of the styles. Yeah. You know, I mean, look how big mixed martial arts became. And it's extremely violent if you consider it in in in, in an argument state against an Asian martial art. You know, Asian martial arts had this this secretive veil where like, you know, you're doing almost like this hidden dragon, crouching tiger kind of thing. The rest of America, like Abe Lincoln and all these different figureheads are doing Greco-Roman wrestling and and they're these really close, in-your-face fighting styles, which is really what I think a big part of American culture grew up on. But then we had this, the Asian invasion, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's... I think it appeals to, like, Americans want the magic technique, too. The, yeah. They want that one thing that's just going to work. Not that karate or whatever has done that in history. It's actually the Americans that have mm-hmm. forced that on, our, on ourselves. We've, like, we're so eager for it that we've basically conned ourselves you know like opened ourselves up yeah. for for people to come in and yeah and manipulate us what, what's funny about that because whenever i think about the way that americans kind of exploited the asian martial arts you know a lot of people don't realize the gracie family did the exact same thing. yeah yeah they did the We're exact same thing when um maeda came to japan or came to brazil you know 
But the Gracies looked at it the same way the Americans do and go, oh, I, I have this secret information that came from the Far East, you know, where they're hidden behind the Great Wall and in this veil of secrecy. But I know these special techniques and I'm willing to teach it to you for a very nominal fee. Yeah. You know, um, and that the Americans did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They really did. Um, not to say there wasn't honor and stuff involved in that. We're still doing you know? the same thing. We're, We're still trying doing... to do it with MMA, trying yeah. to codify and which is which is funny because like the name mixed martial arts is telling you that it is not a singular martial art. Correct. It cannot be a singular martial art. Mm-hmm. And so you cannot codify and put a ranking structure to it. In, it in my opinion, work. if somebody were to if somebody were to come up to me because now you can do this before you couldn't do this, but if before if somebody came up to me and said, Hey, what, what three, what three martial arts should I focus on if I wanted to be the most well-rounded fighter and practical self-defense? I would have ever heard Joe Rogan talk. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, for me, it would be Muay Thai wrestling and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. So if you really focus on those three martial arts, you, would easily be able to well-round yourself in a, in a self-defense aspect. Now, I, I feel you. That those are the three primary ones that I would as well. But the whole game behind mixed martial arts is I'm going to blend these three styles. You blend those three styles. And let's, and let's see, see. Let's see. That's it what origi- I was It originated with here's one style versus another style. Right. And then it was like, okay, now I have boxing and wrestling versus jujitsu and kickboxing. And then now it's become now I have boxing, wrestling, Muay Thai, and I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt against your taekwondo jiu-jitsu. And, you know, it, people are adding in just a little bit extra spice. And you're, you are seeing things like like TJ Dillashaw and uh, Dominic Cruz who are taking taking it to kind of another level where they're developing an entirely different style of kickboxing and wrestling specifically catered for... Rory McDonald, I remember they were talking about this when he first started fighting in the UFC. He was that first he was the generation, first generation yeah. of mixed martial artists. Right. Whereas everybody else had started as boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what's that guy's name? Uh, Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. He was a pure boxer, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, uh, went to that. TJ Dillashaw was a wrestler. You know, but Rory uh, McDonald was one of the first that he started his martial arts journey in a martial an MMA gym and started learning MMA as his first martial art. He was a true pioneer there. And what's awesome about that, and it started out with, okay, we're going to take a boxer and a grappler. And we're going to make them fight. But then what happened was the boxer loses and goes, well, fuck, I don't want to lose again. I got to learn how to keep this guy from grappling with me. So what does he do? He goes and learns a couple of sprawls. Well, now the guy can't take me down. And so now you have a boxer who has a good sprawl. Well, then the jiu-jitsu guy goes, well, shit, now I can't take him down. I've talked so, to yes. Yeah, I know so exactly now, where you're going with So this. now yeah. what do I have to do? Well, yeah. then that jiu-jitsu guy goes, okay, well, I'm going to go learn single legs, and I'm going to go learn um, some, bak- some Muay Thai so that I can use my distance to get in on sides. You can tell, you can see what the next trend is going to be by what the current trend is. If it's, uh, you know, for a while it was um, a high-level wrestler will be a boxer. Mm-hmm. And then the boxers learned how to sprawl. Then the high-level boxers started beating the wrestlers. Wrestlers starting started learning how to box, so on and so forth. Now it's gotten to a point where I'm watching the kickboxers. Say like Dominic Cruz has gotten gotten to an extremely high level of kickboxing. And I did it. I said a really high-level pure boxer will beat him. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and that that's was the next step was Cody Garbrandt came around and beat him, a high level pure boxer. Then when that whenever he was um popular, I I figured that TJ Dillashaw was gonna beat him. Um, because he has that hybrid kickboxing yeah. that is the next level up from Dominic Cruz. And so it's gonna take a, uh, and they have to have the wrestling to back it up. They have to have the jiu-jitsu, otherwise it won't work. But it's going to take another extremely high-level boxer that's, like, on that next level. Who's that guy recent that was, like, doing fucking backflips? I saw the video, but I can't think favorite of his Favorite fighter of all time. He literally did a backflip over a guy to pass his guard. Two favorite fighters of all time is now that guy and Charles Crazy Horse Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that, dude. It makes you wonder, like, in in 10 years... Or five years even, you're gonna have guys utilizing 52 blocks, you know, and and you're gonna have like brachial artery strikes with the elbows. They know? were they were mentioning Kimbo Slice is a very uh, 52 block yeah, style fighter. Yeah, he, he really was because he did a lot of comb the hair type. Yeah, uh, his elbow elbows stuff. are up real yeah. high. Um, Rashad Evans had brought it up. Mm -hmm. Mike Tyson and uh, oh, not Amir Khan. Uh, dude, I can't remember the other. Well, fighter. Mike Tyson, Zab Judah. Mike, yeah, Mike Tyson. I don't think he had a whole lot of high elbow stuff, but he had. Uh, he kept it. He kept everything in tight. Right. Well, like they the were most... quoted. They were quoted on the legitimacy of fifty-two blocks. Mm -hmm. Mike Tyson was one of them that was like, "Yeah, no, it's a, it's a thing, and it's something that we we use and train for sure uh, for this." Um, I don't think he was really a fifty-two block style right fighter, but I think he was. He used. He definitely used those techniques and saw their their efficacy. Yeah. So what do you think about, uh, I had a blue belt that was talking to me about this the other day. He was noticing, I've, I think we, we've all noticed that like a lot of times black belt matches will be a lot slower and more paced mm -hmm. than a, uh, than a white belt, blue belt, you oh, know, for sure. all the way up. And I think well, here's my theory behind it is we've, we've focused so long, so, so much time on being two steps ahead mm -hmm. that when we get in there when i'm in there and i'm grappling i know i know the next two steps whether they're good or bad for me right and he knows the next two steps the good and the bad for him so i know in what position i need to be in in order to start to get two steps ahead right like um for instance like i like to long step pass like that um yeah. that back step long step or whatever if I'm in the daily Hiva and they have a hold of my ankle, I have to do one style. If they, um, I can't do my normal long step to -to day style um, pass. And so if I'm if I'm in that position, they hold my ankle. I'm not going to explode right. into my into my pass. I've got to be patient and wait for my opportunity. Wait for him to let go of that ankle, maybe reach for a collar, and then I go for it or something. That's my that's my philosophy behind it. Is it, it's you've you work so hard to be two steps ahead that then you are seeing a little bit almost into the future. You know what the next two steps are. And I'll use my my fight with Eric last night as an example. Once I I got the throw, I normally immediately go into a passing game. Like I've I've hit that throw a thousand times, and so when I hit the throw on him, I would have normally have immediately gone into passing. Mm -hmm. but what threw me off was when he came back up and regained his guard, he used his right leg to put a Delahiba hook in. Most people use their left leg. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something maybe Eric just does that. I don't know. I 
can't remember if he's left-handed or not. I, I think, don't know. I think he might be. But I just know that normally I'm so used to turning my right knee out to defend the De La Hiva and passing to the left, my left, that when he put his De La Hiva in on my left leg, it jacked my balance up. Mm-hmm. And so it like scrambled my brain where I started looking for I, – I focused more on a stabilizing a really solid grip game because I had to start thinking about how was I going to manipulate this pass. Yeah. Um, and he ended up sweep, sweeping me off of that hesitation. I knew what options were there. I knew what sweeps were available. I knew what I needed to be doing, but it's like my brain scrambled out of control and I couldn't, I couldn't get my hand placement where I wanted it to feel comfortable. Yeah. And he knows that he can't sweep you until you, you show that opportunity. Yeah. And so as long as, you know, as long as you're keeping, good base, good good posture and, and hand grips, he's not gonna explode into that. It's right. not gonna be this cat fight until it needs to be a mm-hmm. cat fight, you know? We're always we're always looking for the next yeah. movement. We expect things to happen a very specific way. And I think the the trick is getting you to believe that I'm gonna go for the omoplata and then I go for something entirely mm-hmm. different. And if I can recognize that he's thinking that omoplata's coming, I'm gonna he thinks I'm going to try to replace guard and do the normal thing, right? But I'm going to chicken wing him. I'm going to chicken wing this throw him over my shoulder. And I think that's where the difference between playing checkers and playing chess, right? So yeah. checkers is pretty easy. You know, it's it's forward and backwards. That's it. You know, it's a two move game. But that's where a lot of times people equate jujitsu to chess. But I think they're just saying it because they've heard other people say it. They yeah. But they don't truly understand what they're talking <laughs> right. about. And the truth is, is like you said, like you have to really, you have to mind fuck that guy into thinking that you're doing what he expects you to do and then don't do that. Yeah. You know, something entirely different. Yeah. But what I teach my students all the time about human nature when I'm teaching different techniques and the way that I set things up and I'm teaching them uh, in class is I tell them that humans are stupid. Yeah. We are dumb. And we're so dumb, in fact, that we're creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. And whether we want to do it or not, in jujitsu, if if I pass the guard and establish side control, you're gonna you're gonna do the same escape every time. Yeah. Whether you want to or not. Very few people have some weird hidden way they escape side control. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? I wait for them. We wait for them to escape in the exact manner that we know they're going to do it. And then we set up our back take. We set up this. We set up that, right? I attack the neck for the collar choke. What do you do? You defend with your hands. Well, I didn't want the choke. I wanted the arm lock, but yeah. I needed you to lift your elbow. Right. And you're going to lift your elbow every time because humans are stupid. <laughs> every time. It's a, one of the funny things about when I teach kickboxing is like the best way to get somebody to throw a leg kick is kick them yeah kick them in the leg and f- it's so stupid everybody's like oh i can do that too we do it on, <laughs> we do the same thing in grip fighting yeah if i grab your lapel whether you want to, you may not have a single fucking judo technique in your arsenal but if i grab a hold of your collar mm. you grab mine every time yeah you were doing a snap down on jeremy mm-hmm. last night and um I just remember thinking like, I don't think Johnny knows judo. So what is he doing? Like, <laughs> and, um, I do know judo. <laughs> I guess I just never seen most you people it. don't think I know a buttload of stuff about judo, but I do. <laughs> I know a lot of, I know a buttload, <laughs> but, um, it was just funny because as soon as you grabbed his lapel, he grabbed your lapel yeah. and everybody does it. It's a weird unconscious thing that we do. And TJ Brown, he's coming off of like, other than his submission that he got in the contender series, the last two fights were knockouts off the same head kick setup that he had been yeah. using. And it's so 
you go back and watch it in slow motion, and what he does is he he sets it up off of off of a punch, and the guy goes to slip and he head kicks him. Mm-hmm. So he literally slips into directly into the head kick and knocks him unconscious. And it goes back to part of it is he gets him to circle in a certain direction. Too. Yes. Yeah. And a big piece of that is is because we tra- you train boxing over and over again, and you know that when the when the one comes, the two's coming, and then you're going to slip it this way, and it's a pattern. Yeah. <clears throat> because humans are stupid, we fall into those patterns, and then uh, and TJ has exploited that pattern very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Barton, he's really worked with TJ on that stuff, and it's paid out in dividends. Yeah. You know. People don't uh, realize that like your position alone in relation to another human being will set you up for good defense and good offense. Mm-hmm. Just if you have somebody standing in front of you where you're standing at in relation to them, the easiest way to, de- to describe it is range. If I'm out of range for you, if, I, if I'm out of your reach, you can't punch me. Right. If I have longer arms, I want to be in a position where I'm out of your reach, but within my reach. And then if you add on top of that the angles, and then when you add on top of that, like uh, being on the inside of the cage, like being in the middle of the cage, controlling that or controlling the outside, which way they clock to you and throwing which techniques in that manner. The jab cross hook rear tie kick, this is a great combo, but I have to be able to use it to set up that next technique. I have to understand the, the flow of that technique. Oh, I almost forgot. We did a uh, album review. Yeah, we did. Yep. I totally spaced that. I can't believe I forgot I didn't. I just was waiting for you to bring it up. Yeah. Oso, Oso, Basking in the Glow. I'm really excited about this one. I'll let you go ahead and start. Cause then well, gonna... so I wasn't familiar with Oso, Oso, so I had to, I had to go listen to him. And I'm glad that I did. Mm-hmm. Immediately. So I, it, what's interesting is I started listening to them without looking them up. So um, I wanted to listen to them without knowing where they were from. I didn't even want to know if they were American or not. I just wanted to go listen to the album. And when I was listening, I started hearing a hint of a familiar sound. And it, and they're, like I said, they're a very, very good band. Uh, I was really happy that we covered this. And I started listening and I said, man, this has remnants of like a New Jersey sound. Mm-hmm. Like I started hearing like that New Jersey, because New Jersey has a very specific style yeah. that came out um, of that time frame. Um Drive through records was at a, is that a New Jersey area? Uh, they could well they're up in that area. I don't know if it's New Jersey specifically, but they had like bands like Early November came off that. Census Fails came off of that. A couple other bands came Early off November that. Remember was so good. They were really good, and um, I always thought that go- the lead singer had a cool name. His name was uh, his I think it was his first or last name was Enders or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I never think that was super cool. But when I started listening to the band, I said, man, these guys really have a New Jersey sound. Mm-hmm. And I looked them up, and sure enough they're actually from the new jersey area yeah they uh they said it was like the 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 bio or whatever said it was a project from jade elitri and they said it like we're supposed to know who that is well i don't know who i don't know who jade elitri. i was gonna look him up but then i remembered that i didn't care that much um to know about jade but dude this album is like solid front to back yes really good and i've i've been a fan of oso oso for a little while they've had um they have some really good stuff that's come out in the past, um, but it's been a little bit hit or miss. I don't want to get yelled at by anybody. They're from actually from Long Beach, New York, not New Jersey. Well, so. guess where I'm not from, so I don't give a shit. That's right. Uh, yeah, like I said, that the album was just fantastic front to back. A couple standout tracks 
their title track, Basking in the Glow, was probably my favorite. That's the first one that I listened to. So, so catchy. I've had it stuck in my head for weeks. It's much more uh, mellow than Knocked Loose. <laughs> yeah. Than the last Which album I was super happy that you did because yeah. I didn't even have to go look at the lyrics because the band was actually really good that I didn't give a fuck about the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. With Knocked Loose, I was like, maybe their lyrics are are really going to set them apart quality. Yeah, and it no. wasn't i think we found that out on the last episode yeah it's catchy as shit too and that's all that i, I know. that's all that i want do you have any other songs that you liked off of it i didn't so when i was listening to it i didn't listen to it on on spotify i actually went i just googled the band okay and then clicked on the listen here mm-hmm. and then just let the record play okay yeah and so i didn't really take any title tracks or anything like that yeah that's kind of what i'll do I'll, I'll listen to the full album and then when i hear something that i i like i'll go I'm usually like mopping the mat, so I'll go over and look at the iPad and see what song it is. One of the things I liked about some of their other records is I always I always like when bands have like uh, really cool names for different things, you know? Yeah. And they had another record. It was their it was their first record. It was called Real Stories of True People Who Kind of Look Like Monsters. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's super good. That that's album is cool. that album is really good. Yeah. Too. Um, it's got one of my favorite songs on it, actually. <laughs> Um, the view was another good song on that album. Anyways, I did. I'd give it like, I wouldn't say it's definitely a couple of the songs are going to be in my heavy rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd give it like an eight and a half. I out would, of 10. I would give that for sure. I, I wouldn't give them, I, you know, and the thing is, is, I don't even know. Maybe lower, like maybe an eight. I'd give them a seven five. or an eight. Yeah. Um, for fan, anybody who's a fan of brand new, even taking back Sunday, early taking back Sunday, mm-hmm. just about any of the anything uh, catchy pop, any, punk yeah. So, stuff. and I'm a I'm a sucker for pop songs. It is. It was. I did notice it's a it's a very bubblegum sound. Mm-hmm. There was a there wasn't a lot. Some of the previous albums were a little bit more depressing. This was much more poppy and upbeat. Yes, but I would I would highly recommend anybody who has an interest in any of the bands off Drive Through Records or. Or any of the bands that we mentioned before, like what was the other one, Fueled by Ramen. Was... Yeah, Fueled by Ramen was another one. That was uh, Fallout Boy's first record. Yeah, uh, came off that. And that speaking of bands who had, in my opinion, cool names, they had a song called Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with who Parker Lewis is, it was a show on TV back in the day. It was a really funny show. Man, I never watched it. God damn it! Sorry, it's nostalgic as the Goonies, but that's okay. really yeah. Like Parker Lewis can't lose was the name of the show. It was on the USA Channel, and it had this guy, and it was like he was like the Zach Morris of the high school, and he got into all kinds of uh, kooky, quirky little adventures. Yeah. So have you ever seen Zach Morris's trash? Yeah, dude, I love this. It's they, it's <laughs> they like go through every in detail all of the shitty. He things. was like a rapist, and yeah. like. <laughs> There was a girl that like saved his life and then he dumped her. Yeah. Like I think that's on, I think it's on Amazon or funny or die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Anybody should go check that out because they really take like all of, cause I used to watch that show growing up. I watched it every morning before I got on the bus to go to school and I was like, Oh, I love this show. And then, um, when I, when I went back and watched those where they actually take like all these really fucked up episodes where Zach did some shitty stuff. Like there was one where he was, uh, pro- he did the dating thing where like you could pay to date like Jesse Spano and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he was prostituting them. Yeah, he was yeah. pimping them out. <laughs> Have you seen the, the Between Two Ferns movie on Netflix? Mm-mm. Oh, it's good. I've watched it's a funny. ton of Between Two Ferns episodes. Yeah, you'll get everything that you want out of this movie then. Oh, that's awesome. He does like, he interviews Benedict Cumberbatch and gets his name wrong like 15 hilarious times, you know? 
And then somebody tries to talk to him about it. And he's like, guys, it's it's Dickersnatch McCumberbutt. Come on, guys. Get the name right. <laughs> somebody said that. See, now I'm going to fuck his name up. Benedict Cumber. Cumber Dick's number snatch. <laughs> they said that he looks like he just got stung by a bee and is having an allergic reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. That album though, we got off track again. That album is a, it's a solid one. I would sure. agree. And I would, like I said, I, I did get, dude, nobody can wear out an album or a song like I can. And I got, I got tired of it pretty quickly oh, really? after a couple of days. It's stuck in my head for sure. It's catchy as hell, but, um, usually I'll take like one or two songs from an album put it in my playlist and just listen to it until I die. And this one, I'm kind of already like, Oh, I went through a, um, what I call a stop beat phase. Stop beat. Stop beat. Um, it's not a real music genre, but it like, it was a genre that I created. I say I created it. I put bands into stop beats. So like, um, alt J was a band that I put into that category because of the, the way that their, their music kind of had like this. It's like a bleep bleep, pentatonic type. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I got really into one of those phases. And so you talk about heavy rotation that you like, I really fell in love with like, um, Fitz pleasure and uh breeze block by all J mm-hmm. two great songs. All J is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And then now I have to really be in the mood to hear one of those songs because I played it out so hard. I used it. I used, what was it? I think breeze blocks as my highlight. My yeah, highlight you did. Yeah. yeah. Cause I remember I was like, Oh, I'm about to become friends with this guy. <laughs> I used to have their vinyl, and that was the whole reason that I was listening to that vinyl a lot. And I was like, dude, because he even talks about martial arts, and he mm-hmm. says triangles are my favorite shape. <laughs> I timed it to where I was triangling somebody. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought it was clever. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, yeah. too. Like we, we had a pretty long weekend because I drove up to go weigh in on Friday. So I cut weight Friday um, for my fight. I didn't have to cut a lot. I had to cut like 10 pounds. But I immediately remembered why i stopped cutting weight and it was only 10 pounds i was super hungry all day friday i weighed in it doesn't matter how much you cut weight like it always sucks it sucks i've cut two pounds and had to like stop drinking water all day and it sucks there's different there's different phases that you hit of being miserable Mm -hmm. and like i've cut weight a lot of times and i've cut a lot of weight my entire amateur career was at 155 pounds what's the most weight you've cut for an event my mma fights i was walking or as an amateur i was walking around about 172 and cutting to 155 oh wow so that's yeah well, that's 20 mm. and and most of the time i would end up like 24 hours i would do about 15 to 16 yeah. pounds in the beginning of my of jiu-jitsu career i was i would cut weight because it was like this tough guy. Like, you know, you were like, oh man, like the grind of cutting people, weight, like, you know? People are stupid about They're it. So they stupid. want to do it. No, yeah. I never want to cut it's weight terrible. again. I fucking hate it. And um, when I was a blue belt, I was walking around at probably about 167 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, I'm going to cut to 149. Oh, and Jesus. And I, I did it in one day. Yeah. Went one day. So I cut 17, 18 pounds. Yeah. In one fucking day. And then I didn't know anything because nobody had ever taught me how to rehydrate. Nobody had ever taught me how to like do anything. Mm-hmm. I went, I cut all that weight. It was fucking terrible. I weighed in. I'm so thirsty and so hungry that we go to the restaurant and I order like a Dr. Pepper 
and some cheese sticks. <laughs> yeah. And I drank the Dr. Pepper so fast because I was so thirsty that I couldn't eat anything. Yeah. And then I ate like five cheese sticks. That was my rehydration process, mm-hmm. you know? And so the next day, I, I mean, I put the weight back on, but I felt like dog shit. My first loss as an amateur, I had gone and rehydrated. Is that when you got knocked out? Yeah. And then your mom got mad at on yeah, YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was telling this story the other day. My mom gets on YouTube and goes, the least you could do is spell his name right. I freak out on my mom. like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get off of YouTube. Stop commenting on there. So she gets back on to retract her previous statement. Instead of deleting the statement, she puts another comment below that says, my son told me that I was being disrespectful and shouldn't be, or, and should uh, delete, the delete the comment or apologize or something. And uh, I was like, oh my God, my mom has got to learn how to use the internet or social media in general. That's why she's, the old people are on Facebook. That's why they would just send them to Facebook. Just send them to Facebook. Keep them there. Um, but yeah, so when I had rehydrated that, that the night before, um, I, we had Olive Garden. That was like the tradition. Something happened, dude. I ate too fast or something. We're on the highway on the way back. And I was like, guys, I don't feel good. I need to pull over. Like, I'm going to throw up. I get out of the car. It looked my I swear to God, my mouth looked like it was like a cartoon vomit, like out the side off the side of the highway. Like the dude that was standing next to me said my mouth opened up like it was like you could fit like a gallon jug inside my 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 mouth. It was just like, yeah, threw up everything (laughs) I had. And I was like, oh, damn, that sucks. Well, get in the car, go back and proceed as as usual. Instead of realizing that I just dehydrated myself again and taken all of that food out. In that fight, he hit me with like a jab and I saw like white. I was like, oh, that's not good. Either he's really strong or I'm not (laughs) feeling good. (laughs) And he was really strong. And I had no wrestling, nothing. My striking was terrible at the time. He finally just clocked me with an overhand right and i went down yeah that was that was a rough one i could have been in some serious trouble had anything else gone wrong really mm-hmm. had it gone any other way the uh that's the problem with those events too is like either you try to make it too much of an event where you go to like fucking applebee's mm-hmm. to weigh in and there's i've had this happen we're at like some family like bar like a you know like a sports bar doing weigh-ins and the people that are eating at the restaurant don't realize that a bunch of MMA fighters are about to strip their clothes off right. and weigh in up on a stage. And I've literally had a soccer mom leave her table to come over to the thing and start taking pictures of me as I'm <laughs> as I'm on the scale, like damn near butt ass naked and just being like, ooh, <laughs> like taking pictures. And like the next guy comes, she's like, mm, no. And the next Not one, I'm like, today. yes, please, oh click. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I think you, it's funny that your, uh, that your impression of her is also uh, my impression of Zachary from Westside. <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, uh, please. Yes, please. Well, that's my impression of me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like the, my students know that I'm the biggest queen on the mat. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up. All right, homie. Um, make sure that you subscribe to our Patreon. We also want to thank one more time uh, all of our patrons on Patreon. Thank you for everybody that supports us. And also a special shout out to Daniel Trimble donating a, uh, a third microphone so we can uh, start interviewing people and so on and so forth. So thank you, Daniel. Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube, Instagram. Spotify, we have a Spotify playlist that I'll be updating soon with the tracks that we've been talking about. Oh, so, oh, so. Oh, so, oh, so. 
so go listen to that follow that uh that playlist like i said we are on the road to a hundred uh a hundred dollars on patreon as soon as we get that we will start releasing more consistent videos as well as the entire video from our podcast right now we edit a lot of this so we take out a lot of stuff and it would look goofy on film Mm -hmm. uh to do that but we're fine-tuning our process and getting it all down and trying to figure out so hopefully everybody can grow with us with the process and i i really we really enjoy when the listeners send us messages um on topics that they want us to discuss Johnny and I always have a rough idea and it's, it's fairly organized on what we're going to discuss, how we're going to discuss it. But the organicity of having listener questions really it's, you know, you and I don't talk a lot about these things prior to recording. Mm -hmm. And so the organic of it is really awesome. I had no idea that we had listeners questions. So it was really cool to be able to, to get those. So those of you guys out there listening, send us your questions, DM me on Instagram, DM uh, Johnny on Instagram, DM the podcast, the podcast page. Yeah. We're both on share Reddit. With, share with your friends too. We're at the point now where we're, uh, we've got a, f- uh, a group of listeners, but in reality, it's mostly people that we know. Um, so we're really trying to expand our listening, our listener group. Try to share it with your friends, talk about it, tell other people about it, and let's try to grow this into, into something. I think it, we're off to a good start. Excellent. So, awesome. We will catch you next time for episode five. See you.